Hi there, my name is Barry Ferns. This is my interview with Sarah Shulman on Comedy Bloggerty. Uh, this interview is all about me as a comedian, but also my role as promoter of Angel Comedy, one of the most popular free comedy nights in London. It's going every single night of the week from the 1st of October. So this interview covers what it is to run a free gig, what it is to run a professional gig, what it is to run a free gig, especially in London when there's a lot of controversy around free gigs. So have a listen. My uh, Twitter handle is at Barry Ferns if you want any more information on me. But... Uh, for now, here's the interview. So Barry, how did you get into comedy? How did I get into comedy? Uh, just by being obsessed by it, really. I um, I started writing comedy when I was 14. But the, uh, the I, one of my earliest memories, because uh, I don't have memories for being like two or three, is uh, reading under the covers, reading a joke book. And my parents used to put me to bed criminally uh, early. Um, you know, it'd still be light when I'd be going to bed. And I'd, I remember having a kind of torch under the covers and reading a uh, a joke book under the covers into a microphone and listening back to the jokes. That's how much... And uh, for a long time, I wasn't funny at all. For a long time, uh, <laughs> I was uh, just the annoying guy in school trying to be funny. Um, and uh, But through dint of kind of hard work and just not giving up I started writing comedy so and then I did my first stand-up gig when I was 17 years old it was in Bournemouth I'd look I, I was looking in the echo in Bournemouth at the time and uh, there was a comedy uh, show on for the first time because at the time there wasn't that many comedy shows around so I went and, and said oh I, I write can I do a comedy gig and uh, they said yes and then I did my first gig there I did my second gig in Bristol a place called the comedy box which is a gig that's still running and from that I had a paid gig <laughs> You know, it was a totally different uh, industry back then. I got a paid gig in my third gig. It was in Midsummer Norton. It was a paid gig. Did it with Matt Lucas. And um, it was a lovely gig in the middle of nowhere. A place called Midsummer Norton. But, uh, yeah, so that's how I got into comedy. And I did uh, I did stand-up for six months. I did perhaps about 20, 25 gigs. And it was all going well. I'd moved to London ostensibly to do stand-up, but then got into my university course and ended up writing sketch comedy instead which is a bit of a mistake but it was you know it was 10 years where I was writing and and writing comedy but I just wasn't performing for reasons I don't fully understand when I look back why do you think that writing the sketch comedy and giving up stand-up was a mistake well I mean I don't think it was a mistake because I was learning a mistake's a bit of a harsh word but my love is stand-up what I've always wanted to do is stand-up and I just got um you know, you get um, not obsessed, but it becomes important to do something as well as you can. And I'd made the decision to do sketch comedy, so I wanted to do that as well as I could. And, you know, you've got to be very focused when you're doing things. So uh, you can't take your head above the parapet to go around, oh, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? So that's what I did. And um, and I, I've come back to stand-up now about three years. So... Yeah, after that. But it was, yeah, it was a good thing. And what was your first gig like? What kind of material did you do? How did you find it? Uh, I was, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, I, uh, I, it was, it was amazing because it was such a good gig. It was such a lot of fun. It went brilliantly. It shouldn't have gone brilliantly, but it should. But that's because I was 17 and I looked about 14. And I had these jokes that were, you know, they were very jokey jokes. So what was one of the jokes? Oh, oh, I was walking in the uh, I was walking in the woods the other day, and I was walking past a pond, and I saw some frog spawn. I picked up and read it, and apparently, uh, oh no, and it's pictures of loads of naked toads, that kind of thing. 
It's, uh, you know, kind of jokes like that. I, I, I was walking along, I saw some pig's wheel, picked it up and read it, and apparently he's leaving his estate to charity. So all those kind of, you know, puns, the punny jokes, and um, they're all really stupid things, but they they worked, you know. Um, and I've got still got one of those jokes in my set every so often that I do now, but none of the others, unless I'm doing something like pun run, and then I'll bring out the puns. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't do puns anymore. But though, yeah, back then, and I, it was a mix of me looking, of doing those jokes, but also I'm, yeah, looking about twelve, you know, at the same time. I, I, I had a very young face, so I shouldn't have been on stage, and people found that quite funny. And you have an MA in creative writing, so would you say that having that training is integral to the way that you write stand up? Um, I'd say it's integral to the way that I write, but not necessarily write stand up. I, it's useful to do it's really useful to do an MA um, in anything but um, an MA in creative writing above all taught me that if you write you're a writer it's as simple as that like you don't need any training but if you don't write you are not a writer <laughs> no matter, even if you've got a job as a writer if you don't write you're not a writer so it, it you know it was very empowering to know that um, after after the MA is you know everything you don't ever become also you don't become a better writer. Um, the 14-year-old me is not a worse writer than the me of today. It's all you get better at is editing. That's all you get better at. So, um, Which is good to know because it means that when you sit at a desk, however long you've been doing it, you're always as good as you're ever going to be. And you've performed at Edinburgh for several years. And this year you won the Malcolm Hardy Cunning Stunt Award uh, for the publicity of your show because you distributed 2,000 fake copies of Broadway Baby, giving yourself six stars in one distribution and saying that you've been nominated for a Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Award on both the main award shortlist and best newcomer shortlist. So what made you want to do this? A sense of fun. I've always got a, <laughs> a sense of just mischievousness. I, I like doing things that are, like the reason I did that was just because it appealed to me. There's no other reason why I should do that in a busy Edinburgh schedule where I'm climbing Arthur's seat every day and doing a show up there and doing another show at Espionage every single day, going out, flyering it. There is no way in the world that any sane person would go, right, what I want to do now is I want to write a load of other reviews. I want to... Typeset uh, an exact copy of Broadway Baby in three weeks, and then distribute them, which was the most difficult thing. Distributing, well, I mean, it was it was quite difficult. But then Broadway Baby in three weeks had their own stands, and so I just used to plonk them in the stands. So when it was lovely to watch, you know, big old face Foster's nominations just in the stands, and just watch people pick it up and go, oh, that person's gone. That person's been nominated. Um, and I just it was really nice handing them out because the the people that would be interested in comedy and be interested and have a a keen sense of humor or a sense of humor that I related to would all sit down laugh and you know want to chat to me and be you know and it's it's lovely watching people read the other reviews because it wasn't just my review which was a six star review there were other shows that I just totally made up um called like things like breakfast with Hitler or um what was it there was a man in a coma Oh, uh, Marcus Bridgestock's show, How Do I Get My Penis Out of This Thing, um, <laughs> which was just various shows which which appealed to me. Um, and there's quite a few ones that, that, that um, I haven't, 
I d- that didn't make the cut, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I worked did it with my friend Sam Healy, who has the skills to make it look the way that it did. And he also wrote a lot of the reviews as well. So we kind of did it together, and that was really nice. Sam's a friend of mine who lives in Edinburgh, and he I call him my August friend because mm-hmm. uh, we always meet in August. And he's probably the cleverest person on the planet. He has a brain the size of whales that he keeps in Wales. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, he's got a PhD in physics. He's in two bands that are all, that are well publicised and, and, and do really well. One's called North Atlantic Oscillation, one's called Sand, and they're both fantastic. If you want to hear some good music, go to that. But uh, yeah, so, but that's what made us, well, us both do it. I mean, it was my idea, but the thing that made me want to do it is just, I like the idea of people coming across it and just going, what's this? And then <laughs> and then, not quite sure knowing where, what the review is. But the thing is with the shows at the Fringe, you can't tell sometimes what's a real show and what's not a real show. You know, it's like people wouldn't, like Bonanza on Ice was one of the shows. And, 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 and as a, like, you know, this kind of carnage of blood of farmyard animals on ice and, and, you know, blood everywhere and whatever it was the review <laughs> said it was, you know. And, um, and what amazed me, though, is that you had all these other reviews, but the, uh, one of the shows, I, of my own shows uh, on Arthur's Seat, I gave myself six stars. And people came up wanting the six-star show. And and bless them, because, you know, I, I, it was a good show on Arthur's Seat. It was a lovely show. It moved a lot of people. People really enjoyed it. And they were, but, but bless them, because they'd, they'd come up before, and they'd go, oh, oh well, yeah, we come up to see the six-star show. And um, that's what people were calling it. And I, and I didn't have the heart to say, you just climbed. Arthur's seat, 250 metres into the... Like, it's taken you 40 minutes to get here for a show that if you just looked at the other reviews, you realise that that review was totally rubbish. But I couldn't tell them that. I went, oh, yeah, because yeah. they've made all that effort. Like, I'm not going to say, you idiots, <laughs> you know, at the top of Arthur's seat. So uh, so I had to just kind of plough on and just go, yeah. And often they would come up and say, that was the, the best fringe experience I've had. It's because it's lovely. It's up on top of Arthur's seat and it's... It's it's uh, you know it's performed by by a six star comedian. You know, so. A lot of comedians often take issue with the kind of venues that they might get on the free fringe. Some are great, but some aren't as great. How did you find doing a show on top of Arthur's seat? Um, it was you know the weather this year in Edinburgh was amazing. It was like sunny for every single day. The only day that it wasn't was uh, it was very misty. Um, and it was like doing a gig in the Lonely Mountain on in, from Lord of the Rings. It was phenomenal. And people came up. People came up. There were 30 people in the audience that day. It's just like, you crazy, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know. Um, and uh, as a venue, I don't think anyone else would be insane enough to do it, to carry a PA up there. I carry a doorway up there, which I construct, so that people can come into the venue. And it's a, you know, it's a really lovely experience a real fringe experience it's not something that you'd get anywhere else um so that's the one of the reasons i do it so the venue yeah the venue itself was you have to it's like any venue actually in edinburgh in that you have to cater your show or mold your show around the venue you're in especially in the free fringe you sometimes come to a venue and go right okay, this doesn't work in this way and you have to move things around. Uh, anyone that's been up to the festival will know that any backroom, cupboard, staff room becomes a venue. You know, it becomes a, you know, a performance venue where people are performing eight hour long shows over the 
so you you make what you can of it and that's what i did when i went up to arthur's seat i just go okay so how can this work you know how can i shelter shelter from the wind how can i involve the audience how can i make people seem like they're at a show and forget about the fact that they're just on top of a mountain so what advice would you give to other acts particularly those acts taking a show onto the free fringe in terms of advertising and promoting their show think work as hard as you can at it don't and when i say work as hard as you can at it i don't mean giving out flyers necessarily i mean thinking about every possible way that you could get people into your show and that's sitting down and that's making you know diagrams or spider diagrams like how can we get how can i get you know it's it's like when you get the fringe media list there's a whole bunch of emails yeah you can send emails out to people, but you've also got people's names then. So you can, what can you do? Could you go up two weeks before the festival and go and meet all the people, you know, when they're less busy, go and knock on doors? Could you be phoning? If you can't do that, could be phoning people. Could you be writing handwritten letters to them? How can you get their attention? How can you get the attention of people that have got other people screaming for their attention? Like that's hard work, but it's that's how you do the work. How can you get known in the industry in a different way? Like, would you hang out at the loft loft bar or the abattoir and be kind of there and be like so in terms of making your show work there's so many different ways but you do it's not about being strategic it's just about knowing how things work and finding ways to be visible because in a in a in a where's wally picture of comedians it's like how am i going to stand out because I've got my stripy jumper on, but people are still unable to see me. Everybody has their stripy jumper on as well in a sea of stripy jumpers. Absolutely. There's a, you know, you, what you want it is you want it to become, rather than where's Wally, uh, there's Wally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. Which would be a lot easier book. I think there should be a book called There's Wally, which is just a picture of Wally in vast expanses of space that you just turn over and go, oh, there he is, there he is, there he is. <laughs> and I've, 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 I, I can get on with my day now. I've seen Wally in different places. Well, in London, you run what I think is one of the best open mics uh, in the capital and you run both professional gigs and open mic gigs how do you find that they compare i run the gigs in different ways so the professional gigs are for people that have been that have a home set that the idea for the professional gig is that it has to be better than any other professional gig because it's free so it's a pro gig but it has to be uh, impeccable because people come expecting a free gig to be bad so you have to run it tightly and when I say run it tightly I mean uh, you have to know every single act that's coming on there's no way and you can't put certain acts on that would be necessarily big names as well because you don't know like big, the bigger the name is the less bothered they're going to be to want to impress a room of 100 people um, so the so the pro nights are run everyone does t- you get three acts doing 10 minutes and then a break, then three more acts doing 10 minutes. And each each section is about 40, 45 minutes long with an MC. Uh, the new act nights are, again, you've got 45 minute long sections. Everyone does five minutes and you get six or seven acts per section doing doing five minutes each. And the the roles change is that the on the new act night, the MC is absolutely the most important person on the night. The MC has to keep it going because, bless them, a lot of new acts will be rubbish. And that's not their fault. It's just that they're new. You know, they're a new act. So, you know, and on some blessed nights, every act is good and they hit the money. But you have to mitigate for the fact that there's not going to be that. There's there's going to be a mix. 
so the MC has to know when to bring the energy up when you know if if an an act has gone fantastically you just keep 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 going bring the next act on because an audience doesn't you know an audience can easily get tired so the i suppose the biggest thing is in terms of making the night work the biggest the there's more pressure on the MC in a new act night and because the you can't rely on the acts and, and on the pro night there's less pressure on the MC other than that it's quite similar because you have to keep the energy up we put a lot of effort in making sure everything else in the night works well like we've got a playlist of good music you know the lights go on at a certain time it keeps dim at a certain time during the break the lights are dark you know making people aware that they're in a club being warm to the audience as they come in yeah both nights are quite similar in certain ways but just one's more professional than the other because the acts are more professional than the other often new acts find it difficult to get gigs because it's such a competitive nature within the open mic scene so as a promoter of an open mic night what advice would you give to new acts about approaching getting new gigs i think just ask you know it's as simple as that and be good and be good when you come like when I mean good, I don't mean be good on night, but make the effort, want to be there, want to be there for the full night, be polite, talk to the person running it, talk to be around, be helpful if you can be. It's about being there 100% on the night and often acts have got other things to think about, so it's not, you know, like material or whatever. But a promoter will always remember somebody that's there the whole night, is got a nice word to say, will help around a little bit if like or offer to i mean most people don't need you to help but will offer to and that can be invaluable whereas an act that comes along and irrelevant of how good your material is but an act that comes along whether they're good or bad and is a bit surly and leaves as soon as they've been on as on a new act night you know okay if that act is rob newman fine <laughs> you're rob newman you can do that um, not that Rob Newman is like that Rob Newman is lovely he's an absolute dope but you know I'm just saying if if you are a big act you can do that but if you're a small act you remember that you're every single person on that bill not just the promoter but every single person on that bill is somebody that you will hopefully be working with ongoing so you want to be as nice as possible to everyone and also everyone's generally quite nice and they're into the same thing so you want to be nice to them anyway so once you get a gig remember that that gig is just a door st- is a is a stepping stone to your gig to the next gig from that and that's another way to you can put effort in not just writing not just emailing for gigs but at the gig however tired you are after a day at work remember this is what i want to do this is my real work and and be nice well angel comedy is launching seven days a week and it's all free and there's been a lot of controversy about free gigs why do you think that they're both important and necessary for the comedy industry. I think free gigs are very important for the comedy industry right now because the amount of gigs on paid gigs are, are diminishing and the amount of comedians that are not only competent but excellent is expanding at an exponential rate. So there are fewer paid gigs to go around. And the one thing, the most important thing for a stand-up comedian or comedian is stage time you have to perform there's no other way to be good at your job other than to do it in front of an audience it's the most important thing and sure you can do it in front of two people in the back room of a terrible pub and what you'll learn there is how horrible it can be to perform but you need to perform to a full audience 
And sometimes the only way that that can happen at the moment, the only way that can happen seems to be by putting on quality free gigs. Because the comedy stores and the comedy cafes and the you know the boat shows and the 99 clubs and the crack comedies have got the paid gigs tied up they've got a lot of money behind them they've got a lot of advertising and yes they put on good gigs that have a good reputation but where are those people going to perform that can do 10 minutes of amazing material they're not going to perform at those because those gigs don't do open spots anymore there are a huge amount of really talented comedians that have nowhere to play like on a saturday night or a friday night there's lots of open mic gigs on a you know monday tuesday wednesday but nothing on the main nights because it's not profitable for a lot of people to do that so you have to take a hit that's why the, our night is free we don't, we don't earn money doing it but we are all comedians that run it and want to be running and performing at good gigs so we run them ourselves some promoters might argue that in putting a free gig on a friday or saturday night that that detracts from getting audiences into gigs where they might pay what would you say to them absolutely not by putting on a very good gig on a Friday and Saturday night that's free, you give people a positive experience of coming to a comedy night. And that will make them want to go to more comedy nights. And it will make them want to go to paid comedy nights. Because they'll think, if this is this good and it's free, I've got this, I want to go to a better night than that. You know, not that I want to go. But if this is really good and it's free, what would it be like to go to a paid night? And why wouldn't people want to be going, I want to go see that person that I've seen off TV. You know, the, the, the nights that I put on have very rarely got, the Angel Comedy Nights have very rarely got bigger TV names. Maybe one or two, but not the, you know, not the How Cruttendons often or the Michael McIntyres of the world that you would see in, in some of the other gigs around. So I think that anybody that, any promoter that is threatened by a free comedy night that's very good on a Friday and Saturday has got to question whether their gig is good enough to bring people back. Comedy gigs rely on the good feelings that they engender to the audience so that people want to come back. Like, oh, I had a great time at this gig. It was £15, but it was amazing. I had a lovely, lovely time. I'll go back to it in two months' time because I had a fantastic night. It's only the people that are worried about the quality of their nights, I think, that would be threatened by a free comedy night put on by people that nobody's really heard of. We are very busy on a Friday and Saturday night, and the reason is is because people come not knowing what to expect. And when it's a great night, they then come back again with five of their friends. And then those five come back with five of their friends. And that's why we're busy. We're not busy because we're free. We're busy because we're good. There's loads and loads of free gigs but there's not that many free gigs that people want to return to. <laughs> I think most people in the open mic circuit would probably agree with that. Would you always keep Angel Comedy as a free gig? Absolutely. It's a free night. It's a wonderful night to be able to put on. I'm not a promoter. I'm a stand-up comedian. I've walked into promoting as a way of getting good gigs because I was tired of doing gigs that were exhausting to get to exhausting to do and then you perform to five people there's so many gigs like that on the open mic circuit if I then move on to do other things then maybe it'll fade maybe it'll do something else I mean I don't run it on my own I run it with somebody called Sarah Pierce and Katerina Vrana um, and there are actually other people there's somebody called Simon Goss and we've got Paul David Collins who comes in and helps out somebody called Francis Foster Masood Milas 
everybody is it's become a cooperative now it's like i started it on us on a thursday night in july 2010 i went to saturday in october 2010 and then quickly realized that we'd need more people <laughs> in order to make it work because you need people to to help out and so got other comedians in and other comedians involved so hopefully it will stay a free gig that's a quality gig so even if and uh, the idea for the club is that it becomes an academy almost that people graduate from it go on to paid gigs go on to a further career where they're not doing free gigs and that other people come up and start running the club that that you know there's obviously would be a vetting process of people that are dedicated enough and and want to make it as good as possible but it would never be a paid gig it'll never because that's not what it is and part of the whole philosophy of it is offering people that can't afford 15 pounds on a saturday night to see a great gig the opportunity to see some really great comedy and a lot of those we get a lot of foreign people in we get a lot of people that you know the type of people that work at starbucks or costa and want to see comedy they're living in london one of the you know the centers of the comedy universe live comedy universe they can't afford to go to the comedy store and pay 20 pounds they can't afford to see you know have a really unique something that only happens in in the uk they can afford to go to a you know a comedy bin or something and not know what to get in Finsbury Park on a you know Tuesday night but that's not really a positive experience sometimes uh, without wishing to say that but so um, so yeah it will I can hand on heart say it will never be a paid gig I'm not a promoter I've got no interest in doing that how have you found that acts on the circuit have embraced free gigs I think acts don't really care anymore whether a gig is free at Angel Comedy, we get people coming along. Like we've got on the launch week, we've got Shappy Corzandi playing. We've got Arthur Smith, Simon Munry, Jared Christmas, Sarah Pascoe, Gary Delaney, Holly Walsh, and none of them care that it's a free gig. We're paying them. You know, we're losing money on the on the week, but they don't care. It's free. They care if an audience is there, willing to laugh, and it's a fun gig, and it's a nice one to play. So. If those people don't care, you know, the people doing 10 minutes don't care, it's a free gig. The, as a comedian, you just care whether there is an audience there ready and receptive to you being on stage and and telling your jokes or doing what you do. The only people that care it's free are the people that are making a lot of money out of comedy but aren't performing comedy. That's it, because it's about money. It's not about the actual experience itself. The people, the comedians that might be earning a lot of money, they do care because it's about the experience of doing comedy. You need a good audience. So, yeah. One of the most amazing things about London as a place to watch comedy and perform comedy is that there are so many gigs to go to. And part of that is because there are so many free gigs. But would you say that there are too many free gigs? I don't know. I, I wouldn't dictate, I wouldn't say that there are too many this or too many that. I think there are a lot of bad gigs wherever comedy exists. You know, whether it's Edinburgh Festival, whether it's London, whether it's New York, wherever comedy exists, there will always be bad gigs because comedy is a is a difficult flower. You have to have the right soil for comedy to work. You have to have the right type of room. You can't, you know, the right type of ceilings, the right type of acts, the right type of compare. You have to set it up just right. And lots of people won't, either have the insight the enthusiasm or want to make the effort to make a gig work 
or they won't know how to. So there's always going to be bad gigs. But, you know, just in the same way, there's always going to be bad actors. There's always going to be bad company executives. It's uh, So should there be fewer free nights? No. Because like, if they're bad, they'll fade away. I think any person that has an opinion about there's being too much or too little of this, it's like they're, they're not paying attention to their own stuff enough that they're focusing too much on other people's things. It's like, you know, I'm just trying to look after my own thing rather than worrying about the rest. And why did you want to make Angel Comedy every night of the week? Angel Comedy has been working now for about two years phenomenally. It's like on Saturday and Friday nights, we have queues around the block for people wanting to come in. We can usually get most people in. On a Thursday and Sunday, it's really busy. It's filled to capacity. On a Tuesday, which started, the Tuesday nights started as show nights where people were given the opportunity to do their shows their Edinburgh shows or their hour-long shows. People that wouldn't be at the Soho Theatre but we knew had fantastic shows. People like Rob Orton, who's an amazing performer. People like Nish Kumar that did end up doing something in the Soho Theatre but weren't doing. People like Katerina Rana, who's travelled around the world and done her show in Melbourne, in Greece, in Los Angeles, and that aren't being put on by anyone else. So there's a whole wealth of amazing comedians that can do an hour-long show on a Tuesday. And all of those shows are busy and people are showing up and really enjoying it so the the idea of going every day of the week is well it's kind of symbolic in that it's about we ideally we'd like angel comedy to be a little bit like a academy of of fledgling comedians it's like there's a definite structure from doing a new first gig to coming back to doing a gig a couple more times to then getting a feature spot on a new act night to then once you've got a five that's honed doing a five minute on a Friday and Saturday when that's really singing then doing a ten on a Saturday and Friday which is now paid so we pay people to to do their ten minute spots on those on those nights to then moving up maybe doing a 20 minute as an opening thing on a Tuesday and then doing an hour show on a Tuesday as well the way that Tuesday works is you have a 20 minute, then a break, then an hour. So that then, because there's very little support for new acts on the circuit at the moment, like most comedy nights, almost all comedy nights, no longer do a five minute open spot, whereas they used to all the time, like the big nights. Nobody does 10 minute spots anymore. There's no way for people to practice their craft. Like a lot of comedians will find that the first time they do 20 minutes on stage, a full 20 minutes on stage in front of an audience, they'll be getting paid when they do it. They won't have tried it beforehand because you don't get a chance to do a 20-minute spot in front of a full audience anywhere else. So it's about offering comedians a chance to to move up a ladder but also progress and and there's nowhere else doing that. And as a we're a comedy cooperative in a way, so it's creating something run by comedians for comedians and for audience members that want to see something good that that's not going to cost an arm and a leg. So why not go every day? Why not have that available every single day of the week? Because we'd uh, we'd want to be able to gig every every night of the week as well. So the Monday night's a bad film night, and that's where comedians. Uh, introduce their favourite bad films. Like we've got Matthew Hyten. Um, introducing Anaconda we've got Adam Larter introducing Xanadu we've got lots of different people introducing bad films which is going to be fun there's going to be free popcorn there the comedians will introduce them and that we'll see the whole film through but they'll be kind of in beforehand showing snippets of their favorite bits to watch out for and on Tuesday's show night Wednesday's new act night Thursday's 
something called Angel Delight, which is bigger acts doing new material, a couple of brand new acts, and then a, some mayhem will happen. There's a resident musician in every one, and that's fun. And then Friday and Saturday are pro nights, and then Sunday, new material, new act night again. So yeah, it's it feels like there was the demand for it. That's why we did it, and also as a yeah as a support for the for new comedians. And before you were saying about how if you are thinking of running a gig, there are so many components of it that you need to think about in order to make it a really good comedy night. Do you have a favourite type of venue that you prefer performing in? Favourite type of venue? I Any venue that is well run. Simple as that. No, there's, you know, there's a whole list of things that are no-nos. Don't have a working bar in the venue where the acts are on. Uh, have a lower ceiling if possible. Have the audience in one area if possible. Have the audience not removed from the stage, those kind of things. But uh, a favourite venue no anywhere that's well run really and do you have a favorite type of audience that you prefer performing to uh definitely not <laughs> i think you've got a an issue right well i don't know there's two thoughts around that i think that you've got an issue if you prefer performing to one type of audience than another though saying that you know you can point at a lot of comedians that have a certain audience you know Stuart lee doesn't go down well at armed forces gigs <laughs> you know or, uh so you know his his audience will will always be kind of you know the intelligentsia or kind of more nerds or that kind of thing whereas michael mcintyre will not go down well to Stuart lee's audience so you will you know everyone kind of has their own natural audience in a way but at the moment i don't especially i'm trying to be as accessible as possible I'm quite because I'm quite MCE. I'm quite accessible anyway because I play with an audience and do do a lot of interaction. So I don't I don't have a favourite audience at all. No. Well, as an MCE, a lot of people find this very difficult to do. So, what advice would you give to people in terms of being an MCE? Don't try and be funny. If you try too hard to be funny spontaneously, you end up falling on your face. Don't just do what you're meant to do. An MCE is a master of ceremonies. They're meant to put the night together. So just do that give an announcement at the top, do a bit of your material if you want to do a bit of your material, but don't feel the need to do what Dara O'Brien does. It's like all of the interaction-y stuff will come when you feel confident on stage because it's just a matter of talking to people. But don't try and do it. Just just set up the night. Right? And then stage time. It's the, the, the biggest secrets out there are the fact that to become a good comedian, you just need to be on stage and you need to write those are the two things so everything will come if you get on stage just find a way to get stage time just find a way to get out there the way that i've got stage time is by starting my own club you know if you want to start your own club then put your time into it and doing that way or follow it and you know get sent out emails or whatever but yeah so to become a good mc just bit mc you'll be bad to begin with but that's what happens and do you find that you get heckled a lot I don't really. I kind of. I suppose heckling is defined as a negative. Somebody from the audience saying something negative, and I would welcome heckles. Really, if if a gig's going badly, a heckle can be a real help, because a heckler will often be voicing the concern of an audience that's going, "We're not enjoying this," and you know they might get a laugh, and that's great because that. If somebody is drunk, every so often we get somebody that's drunk and they're just annoying and that kind of person 
you got two options. You can kind of close them down by being funny, you know, at them. But you can only do that so much. Often, with that kind of person, you'll be you'll be funny. You embarrass them. You'll be funny. You embarrass them. But they carry on because they're drunk and they don't really know, or they're just you know they just want to hear their own voice. And the whole crowd is getting a bit annoyed with them. And then, you, then the whole crowd will generally tell them to shut up, <laughs> which you, you can organise. Um, and if that doesn't work, then they're disrupting the gig so they have to leave but you know that's last case scenario so yeah i do get heckled but not in a negative way generally and if it is in a negative way it's just because people don't really understand the protocol of what it is to be in a stand-up gig you know it's not like tv we can hear you <laughs> do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians write and perform comedy it's, I know it sounds facile, but it's it, that, that's it. You have to write and perform comedy to be a comedian, There's, and you have to find every single way to do that. You just and it's that Steve Martin quote: "To be good and to make it, you just have to be undeniably funny. People have to see you and just think, I want to book that person.' And the only way you do that is by standing up and doing stand up and being funny and writing. That's it. So. I know that it sounds like that's not advice, but it is. Stop thinking about advice. <laughs> Stop thinking about what you should do and sit down and write and then go up and be funny. That's like you'll think, oh no, but there's more. No, there's not. There's not. There's no more than that. Just do that. <laughs> Just write and get up on stage. Yeah, but maybe no, 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 no. You're getting things confused. You're you're thinking that you need to be networking or going out and doing this and being on the computer and looking at no, 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 no. You're, you're not seeing the the picture. Sit down, write and get up on stage and then be funny that's it that, no 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 you don't need to do no 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 you're getting that's you know that's pretty much it and your undergraduate degree was english at the university of surrey and then you did your masters in creative writing at nuig so do you have any tips or advice for students in regards to what in regards to stand up stand up and also general advice for student life general advice for student life um yeah, just get out there and and do what you want to do. Don't feel like you should do what you should do. I think, yeah, that's it. I I I spent a good amount of time when I was a student. I I I went to university specifically just in the outskirts of London to do stand up, and I should have done done stand up because that's what I wanted to do. But I felt like I should be doing this, that, or the other at university. And you know, university is just it's it's a stepping stone into life so do what you what moves you and if you've you know okay you do have reports to do you do have things to write you do have to do all that but you know i think that you can do that and then do what moves you as well because it doesn't have to take up all your time so yeah do what excites you and interests you even if that's just you know spending a year being drunk i mean if that's what you want to do that's what moves you then do that <laughs> i mean you know you might want to question why that moves you and you might want to go on a bit of therapy for that you know if that's what you're going to do then that's that then don't i think i think a lot of people feel like i i know a lot of people that spent a lot of time doing things they felt they should do rather than what they wanted to do so i think that's that's the biggest thing don't think that university is a career your life is your career <laughs> not not the uh, not the module you're doing right now <laughs>